Welcome to Tales from the Rift, a podcast exploring our conversations around drugs. Each guest will tell the epic tale of when their experience with drugs shifted. So sit back, relax, and open your mind to Tales from the Rift. Hello, friends, and welcome to Tales from the Rift. I am your host, Issa Kixon, and I am here in my bedroom with Sarah Jane Martin, who I know from, you know, all the comedy <laughs> and all the karaoke, all the weird yeah. karaoke shows. Um, like, that's, that's how I know you, but I know you're so much more than, than that. So why, who are you? Tell us who you are. Well, uh, yes. Hello, I'm Sarah Jane Martin. I, I dabble in the comedic arts as well as, you know, theater stuff. And um, I am a writer by trade. I work in advertising, but not like the really, not the shitty capitalist kind. Like I work for an agency that uh, creates content for greenhouses around the world. So I just like write cute tutorials about plants and stuff. It's, it's real nice. It's, it's very chill. So yeah, I'm a writer and I'm really excited to be on the podcast today just because I have always been really fascinated by the culture surrounding drugs, just because I had a very atypical upbringing. Uh, my dad was actually a very well-known, pretty major drug trafficker in Manitoba in oh, the wow. um, in the seventies and eighties. And he eventually he cleaned up before I was born, so he was never a drug user while I was alive but he's got an absolutely wild past. And I grew up with all of these stories. When I was very little, I kind of, uh, I rationalized it as, oh, daddy was a hippie in the sixties. Yeah. And I didn't really, like, I thought that just kind of meant he like dressed like Austin Powers and like yeah. danced at cool parties and stuff to incense and peppermints. I, I didn't really know about that. <laughs> aspect of it so I, I came to understand it more in the culture around it as I grew up so I, I just find it a really fascinating sort of just an entire area of culture yeah like it because uh, I also grew up with like a super hippie dad who you know like saw vanilla fudge live and you know like hitchhiked that was like hitchhiking was a big thing back mm -hmm. in back in those days and just yeah it was almost like like those became like bedtime stories like gather around kids let me regale you with the tales of my first acid drip yeah oh my gosh literally like I can't tell you how many times at the dinner table my dad would talk about crazy times that he did acid when he was a teenager and <laughs> just so and it was funny because I I went to a super conservative Catholic school and mm -hmm. I was one of the like who was there on bursary so like I got a free ride and I had a single mom Ooh, so I was like labeled as one of the sketchy kids and it was just hilarious to me this juxtaposition of all of these like super privileged you know upper crust catholic girls whose dads were lawyers and doctors and 
Meanwhile, my dad lived in a tent in the jungle in Jericho with a machete to keep the goats away. And like their dads taught them how to like invest in businesses and like they taught them about market and my dad taught me how to make murder bats out of copper wire and duct tape so it was just a whole different upbringing for me he was a really nice guy though honestly great dad just a little off color (laughs) (laughs) and I mean like the like what I like about doing uh this podcast is like you know, I know people for like usually connections with um, the entertainment industry, you know, whether I've worked with them or, you know, like we've just, you know, our paths have crossed. But like what I love about this is that I get to hear like these stories about people's upbringings and it's just like, holy damn, that's why you're so talented. And I mean, like, <laughs> you have such a unique way of like putting things together and just like, you know, normalizing the like typically not normal things. So I really like, I really appreciate that. Now I kind of get like this little dip into, you know, where that all comes from. Yeah, you know, and I think I I do consider myself very lucky in that regard, because that was an interesting part of my upbringing is that both my parents, they sort of met in their sobriety journey. So they both had these wild and crazy pasts that I had no part of and then kind of cleaned up their acts. But they were both very involved in sort of the service work of like people working through addiction issues and a lot of that work they did within our home so I grew up with like all sorts of wild folks with fascinating backstories and like my parents rolled with some pretty pretty badass folks so it was was cool for that to just be a very normalized culture to grow up in and I I think it's it's a healthy culture to grow up and yeah. to you know not have that stigma growing up yeah oh absolutely absolutely did you find that like because I like I also grew up with like my my dad was you know uh went into recovery for alcoholism and um when we were growing up like my mom didn't drink like my mom was actually is a social worker so mm-hmm. I grew up with just like yeah like that sort of world being normalized and so for me like when I started seeing like the stigma around it I was like I don't I don't get it (laughs) I don't get it I I totally feel you on that and like for me I don't know I felt like it was sort of different between my two parents where my dad was kind of like whatever you know he kind of took a more relaxed approach to it I think my mom was a little more naturally hesitant to like she didn't want to glamorize it of course like she wanted to be upfront about the reality of the struggle that she had with it um but it was interesting in having both of those influences in my life because it didn't stop me from doing drugs but it did stop me from diving headfirst and being like yeah because I knew that you know, there could be some very real consequences if it gets yeah. out of hand. So I feel like I've, I don't know, I'm not, oh, my mother would hate this if she knew, but I'm like, I feel like it was, it gave me the ability to be very 
conscious about my consumption and I've never really allowed it to get out of hand just because it was something that was normalized and I went into it in an informed way yeah which brings me to um actually how like how old were you when you you know first tried drugs and which one was it well I mean I don't know if alcohol really counts that doesn't really count but that was I was just drinking my uh, friend Tasa's dad's homemade wine because they were Italian so they had the good shit in the basement um but the first uh drug I tried was just pot I didn't try anything too I guess like hardcore until I was 19 20 because I was still I felt some trepidation about it but I smoked weed, actually, I might have been 14 years old. And I, it was really funny. I was smoking weed with my friend Ronaldo, who we were best friends since kindergarten, and he was Trinidadian. And because my dad, like, it's so weird. Like, I think in this day and age, like a lot of the way he would behave, like a lot of people would see it as appropriation, <laughs> but it was this weird, like, he was like the one skinny white blonde guy who lived in rural Jamaica and just like rolled with all of these gangsters. And he would just like listen to reggae on the porch all day. And he'd come <laughs> home with an accent and it was like this, it was a whole weird thing. But I remember yeah. when I started hanging out with Ronaldo, my dad was like, yeah, a girl, like, of course, like the one girl. <laughs> and then he hit it off. And uh, yeah, to this day, Ronaldo and I are still friends. He sells great weed. But um, <laughs> that we were, we were smoking weed in my garage in January. And my mom was on vacation, like out of town. My dad was out doing fucking who knows what. And we were like super stoned in the garage and so cold out. And it was just one of those chains of events where when you're really high, you convince yourself you're in a horror movie, but it was just silliness. Um, The doorknob fell off the garage and we got trapped inside. And then both of our phones just died. So we were like really stoned, very cold in the garage, completely stuck. And, oh, this is the best part. Angie St. Mars. You know Angie, right? Yeah. She used to be my babysitter growing up. She lived across the street from me. So I hear footsteps in the back lane. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can- it's Angie. So I'm like, Angie, please, like, try and get the door open. Can you help us? She's trying to get the door open. It's not working. So we just have to fucking break it down. So <laughs> we bust on out of my garage in the middle of the night. And I'm like, whatever, I'm just, I'm just not going to deal with it. Let's, this is a problem for future Sarah, not present Sarah. So the next day, my dad comes down into the basement and he's like, Sarah, uh, what were you doing in the garage last night? I see the, uh, the door's broken there. And I don't even remember my thought process behind it, but for whatever reason, I didn't try to lie and I was a piece of shit when I was a kid like I would have lied normally but I didn't this time I just said ah I'm sorry dad I was smoking weed with Ronaldo in there and he paused for a moment 
And then he just walked out the door and I was like, oh fuck, I am in for it. I'm in so much trouble. He comes back <laughs> in like 10 minutes later and he's like, you know, Sarah, I've given it some thought and uh, I was really banking on you lying, but you didn't lie. And uh, I mean, I can't get mad at you for smoking weed with Ronaldo in the garage. I've done shit that's way worse than that. So uh, if we can both just agree you aren't gonna let it get out of hand. I'm not going to tell your mom about this. And that's probably like the best case scenario that could have ever come out of that situation. Oh man. So like, he didn't like, he didn't get mad about you breaking, busting the door. Like, did you have to fix it? No, like he thought it was funny. He was like, I don't, like he was a carpenter. So like he could very like easily yeah. fix it. himself. <laughs> <laughs> very much a non-issue. So uh, yeah, I, I, find that so hilarious that somehow I, I passed the test unknowingly <laughs> wow that's cool did you like I know you said you you know you didn't like falter too far away from um weed but did you ever try any other drugs like aside from weed I did um so I started to more in university first I started with mushrooms and the first couple times I did mushrooms, I really loved it. I loved the creativity that came out of it. And it always felt like a very spiritual experience. And mm -hmm. spirituality for me is always something I've kind of struggled with because I grew up in a very it was like they were atheists, but also just with sobriety, recovery, there's an element mm. of spirituality to it where there was still kind of stuff like that. And I had a very witchy mom, like she loves tarot cards and oracle stuff and crystals and stuff like that. And in a way, I felt like I rebelled a bit against that just because all teenage daughters rebe rebel against their moms. So I... Um, yeah, I kind of struggled with spirituality and it felt very healing to try mushrooms and then suddenly have this connectedness to even just like things like womanhood. It sounds so like eye roller cliche, but like I remember I did <laughs> mushrooms right after I got my IUD taken out and I hadn't had my period for like three years. And I remember just being so stoned, being like, I'm so fucking ready to just be an earth goddess again. And I'm going to slough with the moon. And I'm just going to be so in tune with my upper goddess consciousness. And then two days later, I got my period. And I was like, fuck this. I'm not a goddess. But I found that to be like a really interesting sort of healing um, experience. Over time, though, I've found certain strains of mushrooms have completely different effects on me than other ones. So I, I, I did a lot of camping this summer. I did shrooms a few times this summer. Almost every time I did it, I found like it made me nonverbal. I'm usually so chatty and social and it yeah. just made me hate the sound of conversation. I didn't want to be around people. I just wanted to look at the stars and think about space and plants and that's not really a party vibe but <laughs> I tried one type of shrooms this summer I believe the strain was called penis envy and 
oh man that was a that was a very good night it like it almost kind of felt more like mdma these shrooms and i went to actually it was the only socially distant concert festival that happened this summer it was called hoot owl it was so fucking cool and not a single covid case came out of it they were so good about it out and i remember the mushrooms kicked in like right when i got to the stage and they were doing the sound check and they were like shook shook shook." and I was like man this song is weird I don't know if I vibe with these guys this is not really my thing (laughs) (laughs) I remember the sound check was like this weird experimental new rock Whenever yeah. I think, like, whenever I see people doing sound checks, I always think of that mm-hmm. scene in fucking Wayne's World 2 when Chris Farley gets on stage and he's like, check one! And, like, just, like, <laughs> gives it, like, his all because he has, yeah. you know, very little lines in that movie. Mm-hmm. I oh, fuck, I love, but I can imagine, like, you're just, like, tripping out and, like, you know, just, like, trying to vibe and then also, check one! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was just a new experimental genre I was not ready for. Yeah. So yeah, so <laughs> this is the one other thing I've I've tried. And then Molly, I've done a few times. And it's interesting because like in my university days, I did MDMA thinking it was MDMA. I don't know. Like there, <laughs> there was some weird shit in there. Like there was one day specifically like I went out with my my university buddies like the theater nerds who you don't expect to be like you know the hard partiers and we dropped what we thought was MDMA and then I didn't sleep two days and whenever I closed my eyes I saw an ocean of fire and like big large mouths and it was like it was a whole thing yeah so that that wasn't fun but real MDMA is I think a really lovely time and I've found it actually quite healing because I grew up in a family that was very strangely like almost a bit resistant to any type of maternal affection so all of the women in my family since like literally the 1800s like I come from a long line of very stern career women who are not healthy at all and very resistant to that and I I find that MDMA has almost had that therapeutic benefit of losing that inhibition and getting to my true nature and not fighting against that so there's been mm. lots of aha moments I've experienced from that. I find that like I find that drugs can do that for a person. Like depending on, you know, where they are in their life and like, you know, what drugs they're doing and how like the drug chemistry mixes with like an actual person's chemistry. I find mm-hmm. that like so many times people can have those like aha moments. And it's, you know, like, and it's legit and it, you know, has helped people like, you know, for the better. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just like the, the, the line between like, you know, recreational drugs, quote unquote, and the line between pharmaceutical drugs that, you know, people can be prescribed. I feel like it's a, like an imaginary line. Like we made oh, up that line. <laughs> we, 
we yeah. made that fine. We respond so differently to different things that it's so much like a case by case basis. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so what I want to get to now is we're at my favorite part of the show where <laughs> I ask you, what was that one experience with drugs that kind of like changed it for you? So changed, you know, your relationship with drugs, your relationship with yourself, with the universe, you know, like what's, what's that one experience where you were just kind of like, I feel moved. Um, I think, I don't know. It's one of those things where, and I actually have a little bit of short-term memory loss. So I find oftentimes I just know that within my weird, complicated memory bank, I have at least, you know, 10 or 20 of those moments where I just felt utter euphoria from being blasted out of my mind with a bunch of other idiots with like you know flower crowns and twigs in their hair <laughs> just frolicking through the forest but I think this year at that hoot owl festival that was a really special moment for me because I had never experienced a concert festival before to that degree. I actually, I had been to Folk Fest once mm -hmm. and it was literally, I went two weeks before my dad died and my dad wasn't in palliative care. He was, we kept him at home the whole time mm -hmm. and it was sort of an opportunity for me to go away. And I feel like I just fucking dissociated the whole time. So that was yeah. a typical concert festival experience. And I always had this really um, deep need to just spend time out in nature with a bunch of other like-minded people and just kind of, it sounds so like mm, cliche, but like connect to my roots because I've come from a very non-outdoorsy family and yeah. I felt so stir crazy. I really wanted that. So over the past couple of years, I kind of got absorbed into this tribe of like lesbian witch musicians, which is like, like who else would you ever want to hang out with, right? Like exactly. musicians are everything. And we were camping all summer and at Hoot Owl, it was just one of those beautiful vibes of you know, losing all inhibition and being around a giant bonfire with 30 other people in the middle of nowhere and having a beautiful sing-along that echoes out into the woods. And it's such a spiritual experience. And even when, like when I was a kid, I used to go to Bible camp and I was not religious at all, but there was such an like such a beautiful feeling of being out with people and singing these like dorky hill songs you know songs like out in the woods and you know with all the actions and shit there's that sense of community and having that this summer at hoot owl uh, being around people and having that euphoria of especially you know when 
we had already gone through several months of isolation and not being able to touch people, not being around people and to just feel like that, that free love in a way, I felt very connected to my father because I knew my father had spent so many years literally living in the forest in Vancouver Island or, you know, on the beach or in Jamaica, like he lived off the land in all of these different places. And he found his different communities to sort of coexist with. And I, it was this really interesting feeling where for a long time, I felt like I had resisted doing drugs because I didn't want it to get out of hand. But there were these interesting moments where when I, um, I had experimented just a couple times with, you know, these psychedelics like mushrooms or things like that in the forest and then I just felt this feeling of like oh my god this is exactly what my father was doing when he was my age at this point in his life and it's really weird that something like that would foster a sense of connectedness to my dead father (laughs) it felt very profound at the time for sure (laughs) that's you know (laughs) I love that. Like, I love that so much because, you know, like I said, you know, everyone's experience is different. You know, some people have, you know, spiritual experiences or really heartbreaking experiences and, but they're all, they're all different. Like we can all connect on that. We've experienced these things, but they're all different. And I love how yours, like you were able to connect with your father, you know, regardless of, whether it was, you know, drugs, or, you know, maybe you you were having uh, a really hard day, but still just that, that feeling of connectedness with somebody who's like, no longer on the living plane. I think that's, I think that's special. (laughs) It really is. And something that I've kind of found to, and this is going to sound like so out there, but it's one of those nice things to just kind of, you know, let your mind wander after taking a toke and there's been a few times where you know that state where you're not fully asleep where you're kind of just like tiptoeing into sleepiness yeah sometimes whatever you think about you can just visualize so clearly and perfectly and the only times I've been able to just like completely materialize my father in front of me is like literally I'll smoke a tiny bit of weed and then lie on the couch for a while and and I won't even intentionally doing it like sometimes my mind will just wander to that place and it's it's oddly comforting in a lot of ways to just be able to let your mind go and then feel that you know comfort for a brief moment yeah yeah no that's the yeah, I, that makes sense. It does. It really makes sense. Um, fuck, I I loved I love this entire interview. Like just everything that <laughs> you said, I'm like, oh, that's different. I love it. Like, cool. Yeah, you know, I feel like I have so many interesting stories that he's passed down to me, and one of the best parts about it is that because he was always in Winnipeg all of these stories still feel so 
close by. Like I know the uh, the corner of Vaughn and Graham, it's a billiards hall. Uh, that was like his corner. Like when he was like a full on sketch bag, like he he owned that corner and no one else was allowed to, to hustle around there. And in the billiards hall, there was a hole underneath the stairwell where he hid his stash and apparently for a long time there was still like a hole underneath the stairwell there and you could see like where my dad hid his stuff but one of the most special things that I thought was like it's hilarious that this is the kind of story that I hold is like this sweet sentimental thing but when my dad was on his deathbed my brother was reading this book by a punk rock musician named Chris Walter and he's from Manitoba he's toured all around So it was one of his books where he was just talking about his stories of traveling all through Canada. And there was a passage in the book that talked about when he was in Winnipeg in the seventies. And there was this like weird, like hippie dude named Bruce with a big beard and kind of weird teeth who hung out on the corner of Vaughn and Graham and kept his stash underneath the stairs. And my brother's reading it and he's like, no, it couldn't be. So he took the book and like gave it to our dad who's like in his blankets and stuff and everything and he read it and he just put the book down and he said who the fuck else do you think it would be? (laughs) (laughs) So cool that like we realized he'd already been like immortalized in print in that way so his yeah his stories are very cool. That's awesome I should actually because my dad has stories about that billiard like that place like yeah. and he, he oh, was such party together. I'm gonna ask him. I'm gonna ask yeah. him. I'll have to ask him. Mm. Um, but like, do you have any? Do you have any things coming up? Do you have any works that you want to shout out to? Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think I have any big um like theater comedy projects coming up. But I will plug uh my podcast that I do with my friend Sydney Weave uh so it was just kind of the perfect combination where we both really wanted to do a podcast so she's a film major she's studied film her whole life I've had a lifelong really deep love of Richard Dreyfuss um he just like ticks all the boxes for me so I got this idea for a podcast where we get really stoned and review all of his films and it's called (laughs) Pine Dreyfus so I I go in like I've seen most of his movies Sydney hasn't seen any of them so I'm kind of taking her along this journey with me and she's a full convert she's team Dreyfus now and uh yes you can find us on Spotify high and Dreyfus and uh, yeah, also, if, if you are interested, if you're a fan of rap, uh, that's one thing with the, the Weird Al karaoke's that we've been doing together. Yes. Um, I love writing parody music. So this year, a friend of mine, we teamed up and we wrote a parody to WAP. And it's, uh, it's called Witch Ass Pussy. Um, it's uh, not gonna lie it's pretty sick it's very good Um, one of the best lines that I wrote is (laughs) 
My Ouija is Hasbro. It came with a Furby. I bring back the dead like it's weekend at Bernie's. The boys come at night, then they leave on a gurney. You'll never convict me. My dad's an attorney. So I, we spit some pretty mad rhymes and uh, we dress as witches. It's lovely. So if you look her up on YouTube, uh, her name is Zytar, Z-I-E-T-A-R. And uh, yeah, a WAP Halloween is our pretty sick WAP parody that we did this year and we're, we're going to be doing some more sketch comedy stuff together coming up so yeah. uh I'm really excited to to work on that now that now that restrictions are loosened and we're actually yeah. possibly able to film things in person yes oh my god thank god um so don't forget to check out high and dry fest and zytar yeah zytar on youtube and um you can check out sarah jane martin on instagram um and i think your facebook is like more personal is it not yeah, my facebook is that one's uh private but on instagram yeah my username yeah. is queens with a z uh and yeah that's where whenever i've got new shows coming up yeah. or um, new projects i'm always promoting them on there yeah that uh and she's hella talented and just super amazing you know watch out for her Sarah thank you so much for being on my podcast like I just I really appreciate like your energy and your vibes thank you so much for coming out cool I think you're the dopest so I'm super stoked to take part I was happy to be here if you if you ever want to do a part two hit me up yes thank you for tuning in Tales from the Rift is recorded on Treaty 1 territory, home of the Anishinaabe, Cree and Dene, and homeland of the Métis Nation. Music provided by local musician Hassan Ashraf. Until next time, stay safe and chill.